Welcome to Inside Economics. I'm Mark Zandi, the Chief Economist of Moody's Analytics, and this is a special Evergreen podcast, sort of Evergreen. We're talking about recessions, and Evergreen in that uh, we're not going to actually talk at length uh, about any of the statistics that have come out, economic statistics, but uh, just about recessions, the history of recessions, causes, leading indicators, what what, uh, goes to the severity of recessions, uh, policy responses, and then uh, ultimately, we'll bring it all bring, bring it all back to the the current uh, situation in the high uh, probabilities of recession. And talk a little bit about that. Uh, in joining me in this discussion um, is um, uh, are my two co-hosts, Ryan Sweet. Ryan is the director of real time economics, and Chris Chris Dorides, deputy chief economist. And we're all here in suburban Philly, waiting for a storm. Uh, Ryan was telling me that your kids got out of school early because of the storm? Yeah, it was supposed to be a pretty bad storm, but I I have empathy for weather forecasters. Yeah, you know, We all should, being an economist. So, you know, if we don't get a storm, I'm not going to blame them. Well, I mean, there is a front going through, so there is thunderstorms. Yeah. It's just, I guess, the question is where are those going to actually hit, right? So right. That's a bit hit or hit, bit I'm looking out the window, and it looks pretty nice outside right now. Oh, is it? Is it your place? My, I'm. It uh, looks like it's a little drizzling here, but it's certainly nothing to be all that worried about. But well, I guess we'll see yeah. how it goes. And Chris, I thought, you were, go- I thought you were getting uh, metaphorical on us there. How we're so? Waiting for a storm, right? The, oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would have worked. Yeah, yeah. could have definitely gone down that path for sure. And I had all kinds of, you know, comparisons, economists, weathermen, but I thought that that's pretty hackneyed. You know. Yeah. Yeah. The, or well, the, we exist to make them look good, right? That's yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the standard. That's you know, the joke. Classic. Yeah. Any other good jokes? Economist jokes. Actually, here you know, it's very funny. I was going to give. I can't remember for what. I had to give a speech, and you know, they wanted me to talk a little bit about economics, and I said, "Okay, I'll tell a joke, an economist joke." They're not easy to find. I googled economist jokes. There's, we're a pretty boring bunch. I think we are extremely yeah. boring. There's no such thing as a good economist joke. There was one I can't I can't remember what it was. So it can't have been couldn't have been that good because I can't even remember it. But but I, I spent like an hour looking for an economist joke and I just gave up. I couldn't find one. The only one I heard recently was what's the difference between an accountant and an economist? What? An, econ- an economist is an accountant with a sense of humor. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I was like, all right, yeah, that's yeah. about it. That's the well Boom. is dry now. Yeah, right. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> And uh, I should say, in this discussion, we are going to ha- play the a game, uh, although it's not going to be the statistics game. Well, I guess it is a statistics game, but it's going to be around recession statistics, not uh, a real-time economic statistic. Um, okay, uh, recessions. Okay, how do we define recessions? Um, you want to take a crack at that, Ryan? How do you, how do you define a recession? So I'll give you the NBER's definition. Now I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially, the, you know, for uh, the, the National out there, Bureau, NBER, yeah, the National Bureau oh, of Economic Research. So, essentially, a bunch of economists get in a room and they define where we are in the business cycle, and they define a recession as a significant decline in economic activity that is broad based and lasts for more than a few months. I didn't. I never heard that last bit. More than a few months. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. I think you're tacking that on. I am is not. That, is that your own? You <laughs> added that. All right, hold on. Well, hold, hold it, up. Because the pandemic recession was two months. Is that not a recession? That's, uh, 
Scott, Holy, one of our colleagues, him and I had this debate. It was like, if it's just a few months, can it be really a recession? But it was so significant that they had to call it a recession. Well, it was a recession. Well, I know, but yeah. All right, here you go. On the NBER's website. Okay. All right. All right. What is a recession? The traditional definition of a recession is a significant decline in economic activity that is spread across the economy and that lasts for more than a few months. Oh, that is, that is news to me. I, I did not know that. I think they, mm -hmm. they must have added that since the last time I looked 25 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that definition is different than what we learned in principles that's, of macroeconomics. That's actually a, I don't, well, okay. Well, they, they didn't actually, they violated that definition then, mm -hmm. right? I would assume so. All right. I mean, I would just say, paraphrasing that, this is how I describe it, a broad-based persistent decline in economic activity. That's a recession, right? That's, that's the NBER's yeah. definition without well, no, a few months. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but mine's much clearer. Yeah, uses less words, you know, which is always an, a good thing. Uh, very clear. Okay. I would say day. it's just a general decline in output or activity. You wouldn't Leave say broad-based? Yeah, general. That That's broad-based. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Keep it short and sweet. <laughs> As opposed to broad-based, you'd use the word general, you're saying? Yeah, general. Okay. All right, general. I like broad-based, but okay, general. All right. Okay, so, but that blows out of the water kind of the standard way people, like if you talk to most people, they say a recession is two consecutive uh, quarters of negative GDP, right? Correct. That's what we learned in Principles of Macroeconomics. You learned that? Well, geez. Where'd you go to school, buddy? Washington no, don't, don't answer that question. <laughs> I teach at Westchester in, in the textbook that we use. It says, no, really? No. Yes. yes. I will pull, I will bring the textbook in and show you. Oh, I don't even want to that's why I, when I teach it, I was like, I ignore that definition because that's at least in the U.S. It's not what a recession is. And All right, we're gonna have to write our own book. And we have <laughs> we like the I think the two thousand one recession that came after the blowing up of the Y two K equity bubble. That wasn't two quarters of negative GDP, right? No. GDP not barely fell. Yeah, right. They were like alternating. Yeah. Well, I think I don't even think that would have been labeled a recession if not for 9/11. Correct. Yeah. Right? Cuz it declined one quarter, seemed to be coming, we seemed to be coming back out of the doldrums, and then obviously 9/11 was devastating. Mm -hmm. It took us right back in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It are uh, in right, take, take right now, in current situation, we saw a negative GDP number for the and GDP for everyone is gross domestic product, the value of all the things that we produce. That fell in the first quarter of this year, and it's actually right now your GDP tracking. Correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan. Is pretty soft for Q2, right? Yeah, given the decline that we got, it's only projecting 2.2 percent increase in the second quarter. Okay, but it's conceivable that that actually goes negative too, right? Oh yeah, yeah trade. And, yeah, so, oh, yeah. So let me ask you this: yeah. Suppose we had two quarters of we Q1 decline, and let's just say you know for whatever reason trade or inventories or whatever, you know, say, say that another wave of the virus comes back and so forth and so on. We uh, have a negative quarter in Q2. Would, would you consider this a recession? No. And unemployment remains low. Well, everything, you know, everything else yeah. is fine. Right? Yeah. Everything else is fine. Like it is now we, in the Q1, yeah. we saw negative GDP, but everything else was fine. Jobs, it's, unemployment. It doesn't 
fit the definition. It's not broad based. Because the decline in GDP is inventories and trade. Right. Everything else is fine. That makes sense. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I think I like broad based to describe that, not general. Oh, I guess general is okay. (laughs) All right. The general theory of relatively, they don't call it the broad based theory of. The general theory of relativity. Yeah, that's that's a good point. That's a great point. All right. Well, maybe I'll adopt that. So in other countries in the rest of the world. Oh, and th- that's the weird thing. One other weird thing about defining recessions. It's not the federal government or a, a government that says, hey, you're in recession. Hey, you're out of recession. It's a group of a, academic economists that are at the National Bureau of Economic Research that formed this business cycle dating committee. <clears throat> we know a lot of them, like Jim Stock and I think Christy Romer, uh, I'm not sure, uh, Bob Gordon, you know, these guys who follow the business cycle very carefully, all, all absolutely fabulous academic economists. Uh, and I didn't mean it that way. They're absolutely fabulous economists, uh, but they're, you know, I guess academic because unbiased, there's no bias, there's no political you know, influence on these folks when they make a decision. That's, is, is that, how do they do it overseas? You guys know, I know, I'm sure it varies country to country, but like, like what, what is the, what do the British do? Does it, do you guys know, or the Canadians or Germans or Japanese? Japanese use, uh, they call it a technical recession, which is two consecutive quarters of declining GDP. I think many countries use that. I thought that was the same for the UK as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, oh, well, that's an interesting distinction. So you could say if I have two quarters of negative GDP, it doesn't have to be a recession. You could label it a technical recession. Yep. Because everything else feels like it's okay. You're creating jobs, unemployment's low and falling, industrial production, incomes are all rising, but you know you still got those two negative quarters of GDP, technical recession. Correct. Okay. And the MBR looks at, more than just GDP, look at employment, personal income, consumer spending, uh, just a broad-based number of indicators. And that's why usually we're in recession before they actually date it as a recession. Yeah, that's another interesting thing. It takes a long time for the committee to feel comfortable and confident Mm -hmm. enough to say, oh, the recession began March of 2020. It ended April of 2020. Correct. Actually, it was a little fat. They did it actually pretty quickly in the pandemic because it was such a V-shaped kind of situation. Yeah. We, the economy cratered and then came back when everything was reopened. But in most recessions, it takes a while, a long time, yeah, for for this committee to say it's not. They're not about being fast. They're about being right. right. That's right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And that's why economists are constantly debating, bickering. Are we in recession? Are we not in recession? You know, and we could be, in, we, the recession could be over, you know, at that point, you know, but we're still debating it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're the historians, right? That, that's the purpose of that mm. dating committee. It's not for day-to-day business use, right? Mm. But overseas, they, do they, they, do governments define recessions? Do you know? I, again, I'm sure it's country by country, but. I think in yeah, some countries know. they do. There's. I thought in the UK was actually well. If, if they're using a technical this definition, right? It's yeah. Then yeah, it's, I guess it's the it government is. who's producing the statistic, and everyone knows that that's a technical recession. I know the IMF does some recession dating as well for globally. Globally, I th- 
they, I think they use a few more measures, right? So it's also this de- uh, general or broad-based decline <laughs> in activity, but I think they use, they consider a broader number of measures than what the MBER does. Yeah. Generally the same concept. Okay. So uh, I know the business cycle dating committee has identified recessions back to 1854. <clears throat> You want to guess how many recessions have occurred since 1854? Do you guys in, in the US? This is all US now, United States. Yeah. Okay, this could be I my this 15. could be my statistic. Oh, no, it's not a really good statistic, is it? Because there's that's a good statistic. That's a good, it's one. A good statistic. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right, and I'll ask you a follow-up if you you know get close on this one. I think there's been 14 well, since World War II. No, I don't think no, so. No, no. No. 12. 12 recessions? Sure. I'm pretty sure. Since 18? No, 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 no. Since World War II. Oh, okay. 12. Oh. Yeah, yeah. 12, right. 12 since World War II. And obviously, there's been fewer recessions post-World War II than pre-World War I, you know, because mm-hmm. we had, the economy's gotten more, more stable. Well, I bet there was a lot more recessions before World War I. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The 1800s yeah. were full of recessions. Before the because Fed. The economy is much more volatile. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Fed was put on the planet in 1913 and with the goal of providing some stability to the business cycle. And they've been quite successful. If you go pre-1913, there was all kinds of recessions all the time, you know, panics mm-hmm. and financial panics, all kinds of things. <clears throat> so uh, you want to take a crack at it? Just, you know, how many recessions since 1854? 20. 20, that's good. But that can't possibly be right if there was twelve since World War II. Right. I'm going to go. That's a bad. That's that. I would label that as a well. The, bad I'm guess. assuming that they were long uh, recessions. Right? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Depressions. All right. <laughs> I'm going to go thirty-three. That is okay, Ryan. Very wow. good. Thirty-four. Thirty-four. If I counted right, I could have counted wrong. It could, it could be. It could be thirty-three. Could it could been. be thirty-three, but I think it's thirty-four. <laughs> I actually right. think it's thirty-four. And, uh, going through the pandemic recession, which is the. Uh, uh, shortest recession. Pandemic. Yeah. Pandemic. Right. Nice Two months. Two months. Guess what was the, or just, uh, what do you think the longest recession was? <clears throat> this group, big group in the depression into it? Yeah, Great Depression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's another great question. After you answer my question, then I, I'm going to ask you the question, well, what, what's, what's a depression versus a recession? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say- I'm taking a, you know, some of my cherry drink here. You guys trade cherry drink ever before? Highly recommend it. What I do it, it for medicinal purposes, but you know, it's very good. I haven't tried it with alcohol though. Is it from, I was going to ask, is that a fermented cherry? Uh, I don't right. know. What you, I'm sure I've never heard of a cocktail with cherry drink. Have you? Yeah, isn't it a Manhattan includes? Oh, that includes cherry drink. I don't know if it includes cherry drink. It includes a cherry. <laughs> okay all right fair enough I got, you. I got it yeah, I okay yeah i right, now i forgot my question oh what's this should this should be a slam dunk easy the longest depression. recession yeah it's the great depression great depression right mm-hmm. right that was like 1929 to 1933 that was like i don't know three three years or something you know something like that. four three four years right wasn't that basically two recessions just really close to it to one another. I, I, I think the NBER actually, I actually have it in front of me. Look, I think the NBER actually labeled it as one recession. So here, oh, okay. 
in August of 1929. When was the stock market crash? That was when was that in 1929? Was that that was October? October. So it came a little after. Seems like really bad things happened in the stock market in October. Oh yeah, I think so. Through March of 1933, so mm -hmm. that's a pretty long time—forty-three yep. months. So you know, a fair amount of time. Okay, so what's the difference between a recession and a depression? What, what, what qualifies as a depression? I mean, I've I got my own homemade right. definition. Yeah. Well, there, I, everyone's got a homemade. There's no textbook definition of a depression. Oh, you like the MBR doesn't say anywhere. This mm -hmm. is what a depression no. is. <clears throat> I, I always think of depression. It, it has to have the three Ds. There's got to be deep. You have to have deflation, and then it has to be uh, duration. So it's got to be a long recession. I was or how about disinflation as opposed to deflation? Deflation that, yeah, that's yeah, a high yeah. bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like. I yeah, actually yeah. that's a great definition. I hadn't thought of that. The three Ds. I mean, my sort of rule of thumb was if the unemployment rate goes above ten percent into double digits in a consistent mm -hmm. way. Uh, that would be a depression, particularly in the in the current context, you know, the in modern context, because in the typical garden variety recession, unemployment goes to six, seven percent somewhere in there. So if you're if you're above 10, that's you know, that's that's depression. If you stay there, not, not in the pandemic, we went to 15, I believe. Right. For a month. Mm -hmm. and then we yeah. came right back in. So that that doesn't qualify. But if you're if you're double digits for six, nine, 12 months, that's a depression, in my view. Yeah. But I don't think we, by that definition, in the modern era, I don't think we've, we've, you know, even in the eighty recession, we got into double digits, but not long enough, I think, to to qualify. Right. Okay. Okay. Anything else on uh, how to define a recession or depression before we move on to the, to the causes? I w I will say something I said earlier, just to reiter reiterate, and we'll come back to it. <clears throat> Big difference in the length of business cycles, the duration of recessions, pre-Fed, post-Fed. If you go back mm -hmm. and you take a look at that data from the NBER on recession dates, you know, back in the late 1800s, all the way up until, you know, the Great Depression, very clearly the economy was much more cyclical. Uh, expansions were shorter, recessions longer, business cycles were much quicker. Since World War II, and given what the Fed has done since World War II, much, much longer uh, business cycles, longer expansions, very, very short, much shorter recessions. I think the recessions now typically last, you know, six, nine, maybe 12 months, somewhere in there, you know, no, no more than that. Okay. All right. Let's talk about <clears throat> causes of recession. So what, uh, you know, there's a whole range of kind of necessary, maybe, ne and then maybe necessary and sufficient conditions for recession. So Let's let's uh, let's go through each of those. So, uh, Chris, what what would you put at the top of the list for causes of recession? Uh, classically, it's a kind of inventory boom bust uh, cycle, right? So you'd say over, in, over, imbalances. Over, There's got to be an yeah, imbalance in the correct. economy. Correct. Uh, yeah. Economy and you're saying heats. inventories historically, when we were a manufacturing based economy, mm -hmm. that was a major imbalance. Correct. Correct. Okay. Less so now, though, right? Yes. Yeah. Less so. Yes. Yeah. Uh, certainly. Okay. What other imbalances generally, typically, might be? And when when you say when I say imbalance, what I mean is, uh, the uh, there's something kind of off 
uh, the, the in terms of the economy's balance sheet, in terms of the leverage, you know, mm-hmm. uh, high leverage or on the asset side, speculation bubbles, uh, you know, something that's just uh, very atypical or in the financial system, the banking systems undercapitalized or there's a lot of poor underwriting. Those are the kinds of things I think of as being imbalances. Is that how you think about it? Yeah, I do. I do. So acid bubbles, certainly one cause of recession. That's more modern. Mm-hmm. If we go back to the housing boom, bus period. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I would make a distinction between imba- leverage and uh, asset values. It feels like to me, leverage kills. I mean, if you've got a lot of debt, that is a much bigger macroeconomic problem than you know, high asset prices, you know, uh, even a, a bubble that bursts because that's equity. That's not debt. It doesn't, you know, drive companies out of business per se or bi- cause households to default, go into foreclosure, like bankruptcy, that kind of thing. True. Although if we're talking about recessions, the, the two usually go hand in hand, right? You had a lot of house prices went up and you had a lot of mortgage debt. Well, that's the, the worst. Time, right? so, so that's mm-hmm. that, that, that's the combo that brings you into recession or causes the a deep recession. Right? Yeah. Well, you, you, I guess there's two case studies like with regard to asset bubbles. I mean, you go to Y2K, that was the a whopper of it, felt like an equity market bubble that, you know, internet was coming on, pets.com, you know, that kind of thing. There was, there was some leverage, but it was not a lot of leverage. There was some margin debt, you know, but that really wasn't the issue, right? It was, you know, people started behaving as based on the fact that they thought they were a lot wealthier given the run up in stock prices. When, when stock prices went down, then they pulled back the negative wealth effects. That that but that was very a very minor, modest kind of economic downturn. As we said earlier, may not even have become a recession if not for the for nine eleven hitting at that time. But if you go to the financial crisis, you know the, the recession hit in 08 and or first half of 09, That was we had an asset bubble in the housing market, and, and that was leverage. Uh, induced. I mean, a lot of mortgage borrowing, you know, egregious mortgage lending, weird mortgage products that juiced up demand and created the, helped to create this bubble in the in the housing market. So it feels like a different kind of problem. Does yeah. that resonate? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I'd okay. agree with that. Uh, any other kinds of imbalances? So, so number first uh, condition for recession is these imbalances. It's kind of fault lines in the economy's balance sheet. What about uh, overbuilt real estate markets? That's another, I would think, reasonable one, right? Yeah, that's another imbalance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how about uh, what I would call spent-up demand? So, you know, during the boom times and the expansion, uh, people spend a lot of money. They get spend beyond what they would typically. Their saving rate goes down. They buy, you know, a car a year before they would normally buy a car. They buy furniture before they would normally buy the furniture. And so you have this kind of situation where people have bought forward what I call spent up demand as the, you know, opposite of pent up demand that develops during a recession and helps power and expansion. Mm-hmm. I would consider that, would you consider that an imbalance as well? Yeah, uh, certainly. Yeah. And it could come from a... Varieties. It could be inflation driven, right? If inflation is going through the roof, I, I would characterize. I put that right? into a different. My bucket. behavior might uh, front load some of the spending. Yeah, true, true. 
I, I would I would say though that the imbalances are kind of separate from the kind of the business cycle overheating dynamics, which is a, I consider to be a I consider to be a second kind of condition for recession. But before we go there, yeah, think about the current environment and all the recession fears. Is there? You said the most important precondition for recession is an, an imbalance in the economy, right? And we identified a few of them. You you mentioned inventory leverage asset bubbles spent up demand so what exists in the current environment that is an imbalance that would result in recession that would ryan i'm going to ryan because ryan (laughs) thinks there is going to be a recession so what is it what do you think what do you think that is well you think that uh, there's uh asset markets like the stock market was overvalued yeah, but, but it wasn't speculative, right? It wasn't. Well, it, if you look at leverage, a lot no, of margin, no le- uh, a lot really? of margin debt. How much is the margin debt? Three, four hundred billion, right? Yeah, I got to look at it as a share of. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. No, nothing. But you have a lot of spent up demand on goods. The only place that could save us is that there's pent up demand for services. Yeah. So but, a little bit of offset there. Chris, you can. You're also thinking recession. Not not as high a probability as Ryan. Sure. So what's where's the imbalance? What imbalance are you pointing to? Well, you don't. A recession isn't just caused by imbalances, right? right. Okay, so to, you're saying could, it's it's a it's not a necessary condition for a recession. No, no. It's a it's a potential condition for a recession. Correct. I mean, look look at the okay. pandemic. You know, that was a, a shock. That was oh, yeah. an imbalance. Oh, yeah. So yeah, that's kind of a case on of its own, though, right? I mean, right. Yeah, that that doesn't feel like it fits into. Uh, it's about, not a case study that? for future recessions. Unless what about you, the energy price shock? Of the, supply shocks certainly yeah. create recessions. Or okay, can, but, can, but I, again, I, I say those. That's a separate category. That's a, a separate set of, of factors. When you say, "Hey, what are the causes of recession?" Yeah. Uh, first set of things, are, and you brought it up first, is the imbalances that exist in the economy, and you, we can identify imbalances that exist in the economy prior to almost every recession. At least ex post, ex uh, you know, ex ante before the fact, that's harder to do, and that may be the case today. There may be problems out there that we're not appreciating, or at least uh, at least Mark Zandi's not appreciating to the degree that we should. But that's one set of factors that are you know that's behind recession. Mm-hmm. Second set of factors is you mentioned it, the but but in that case, you're hard pressed to come up with a smoking gun kind of imbalance. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, we which can doesn't at, mean there won't be recession. I'm just saying, right. yeah, yeah, okay. And well, that can go to the severity of the recession. Yes, you can say, so okay, I'm gonna have a recession, but it's gonna be less severe because right. I don't have a problem. There's not, there's not significant imbalances. But what I'm just, I'm of, probing you because I want to know: is there yeah. something out there, some imbalance in the economy that you think is is potentially a real problem that people have not been focused on or identified? I would say potentially well, a problem, but not probably not going to be the cause of recession would be some corporate lending, right? Some okay. of the leverage lending, some of the zombie companies that we were worried about before the pandemic, they kind of got a lifeline uh, with low rates. As rates go up, I am worried that you're going to see a lot more defaults, but I don't see that as being the real trigger of a recession. It might make it harder to come out of recession, right? Exp- extend the, uh, the recovery period, but yeah, I mean, I, I I think in every case these imbalances by themselves don't cause recessions. Generally, right? You, you have a some kind of shock, something goes mm-hmm. off the rails, 
then it, the economy is stressed, or it could be interest rates are rising because of an overheating economy. Economy right. is stressed, and, it, and you have these fault lines that exist in the balance sheet that get exposed by the stresses that are coming on the economy through the shock or through the higher interest rate environment. Mm-hmm. So right now we're focused on the, the fault lines in the economy, and yeah. you're saying, okay, you know, some corporate debt. Yeah, Ryan mentioned equity prices. Eh, that feels like a stretch, but okay. You didn't mention house prices. You, do you think that's a fault line? Because they're very high, and as we've documented, are fairly are overvalued. Do you view that it's as a, a fault line? It's a risk, but I, as we've discussed, there's a lot of uh, demographic other factors out there yeah. that okay. seem to offset it. But you know, things yeah. can happen, right? Uh, yeah, going to the the but, point that the fault line could be deeper than we know. You know, particularly you get stress. But now you're saying, okay. Also, the other place I would look is in the corporate leverage, corporate debt, corporate balance sheets, that there's this group of companies that are out there that if you look at the corporate balance sheet altogether, it looks okay, right? Yeah, sure. You no, know, but you're saying that the debt is kind of barbelled. You got on one side of the distribution, a bunch of companies that are in fine financial shape, you know, take Moody's or take, you know, Apple, got a lot of cash, right? Yeah. If they got any debt at all, it's because it's essentially up until now, free money. Well, you know, Opportunistic, you, yeah. Yeah, why wouldn't you do it? But And then on the other side of the distribution, you got these companies that are all levered up that have, you know, uh, kind of highly, uh, kind of PE firms have come in, levered them up, looking for higher equity returns. They've kind of levered up right up to certain rating uh, uh, thresholds, uh, which would might affect if they get lowered, uh, if, if their ratings are lowered, they might lose uh, access to markets and their cost of capital will go up. And that's where you're saying we should be looking. That right. might be a stress line. Okay. That's right. They're facing higher rates, uh, so higher financing costs on top of higher wages, on top of higher energy costs. Right. There's a lot of negatives that, if they're de- if the demand side should fall as well, right, that could certainly lead to more defaults. Right. Okay. <clears throat> okay. I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that is a potential fault line that we need to to focus on. Uh, I, I, do you have any numbers on that, or I, I'm pressing too hard? I mean. I don't. I've, in the yeah. past, I've looked at it. It's, it's yeah. certainly was small, okay. much smaller than what we saw in the housing yep. uh, bust, right? So I don't think it's, even if there is a problem there, I don't think it's to the magnitude of a, the Great Recession, but yep. certainly could create some issues. Some issues. Okay. All right. Okay. That's one set of causes that they're not imbalances in the economy that we're calling imbalances. And they don't necessarily... They're, uh, they're, they're not they're not a necessary con- condition for recession. You can have recession without imbalances. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Second set of causes or second bucket of causes, in we've you alluded to it was the potential of an economy that's overheating. Right. Would you characterize it that way? Yes. Yeah. You would. Okay. So do you want to describe that? Uh, you know what that risk is, or you know what why, you know how is that why is that a cause of recession? I think you already did, right? In terms of the inventory side, you have an economy that is um, firing on all cylinders. It's going too far. The uh, There's a euphoria out there. People are spending, pulling ahead some of the spending they might otherwise do. And at some point, they it runs out of gas, right? They're, you know, you're, uh, you've gone too far and therefore... You know, there's nothing left to buy. Right? Uh, or I get, or I start to get... Or I guess this will go to a bigger point, which I... I'll uh, assert that all recessions at at their heart are sociological phenomena in terms of when they actually begin and end. Um, 
but that there's this general thinking that, uh, or this belief that the, the economy is going down and that becomes a, a self-reinforcing uh, cycle. But Right. Sort of sounds like today. Cut. You think so? Yeah. I think, I mean, you, you're seeing measures of consumer confidence dropping. We know it's gas prices, stock prices, stuff like that, but small business confidence is, they're pretty pessimistic. Yeah. It's not caving though. But the spending isn't really. And the spending hasn't taken a hit, right? I mean, it's still strong. Mm-hmm. People are worried, right? They're saying they're yeah, worried, they, yeah. but their actions so far are not in panic I, mode. I, or... You know, I, the way I would think about this cause of an overheat, overheating economy, and, th- and this is, um, you know, kind of typical in business cycles, right? The economy expands for an extended period of time, unemployment declines. At some point, unemployment gets low that it, low enough that it's consistent with full employment. And at that point, the economy's growth rate has to slow so that you don't blow past full employment, that unemployment rates don't go so low, that you don't get these broad-based wage and price pressures that you know, ultimately elicit interest rate increases and Fed tightening. And so almost by definition, you're going to get every business cycle is going to get to that place. Sometimes it's, you know, in in an expansion that's growing more slowly, that takes a while. That was the expansion that was after the financial crisis for various reasons. Or the economy grows so strongly very quickly, you get right up to that full employment line, you know, very, very quickly. And and the business cycle is a lot shorter. And, but the, the, the cause of the recession is that, you know, you're going past full employment Inflation becomes wage and price pressures intensify. Inflation becomes more of an issue, and interest rates rise. And as those interest rates rise, they put pressure on the economy. They bring down asset prices like housing values and stock prices. They raise the cost of capital for businesses. They raise debt service for anyone who's borrowed money up to that point. It uh, it puts pressure on the financial system and their ability of banks to extend credit. So it's the right. It's the increase in interest rates. Uh, and the faster that increase and the higher the interest rates go in a short period of time, the more damage that does, uh, the more difficult it is for the rest of the economy to adjust to that, and the more likely you go you go into recession. And After, you know, after he- hearing that, I feel yeah. even more confident in my probability of recession. That, yeah, I mean, in, in my that view- describes us today. Yeah, in my view, that is the, well, there, there's, that is a, a, well, let me say it this way. I think that is also not a necessary, it's almost a necessary condition for recession. Almost, almost necessary. It doesn't absolutely have to be the case. But an overheating economy is a feature of the end of most business cycles, if not all of them, except for the pandemic, even then to some degree. But, right? I mean, is there recessions you can remember where that, an overheating economy wasn't a feature of the, of the end of the expansion going into recession. I think most of them ended in, in some way or, way or another with an overheating economy. Maybe they don't the, need, the, they don't the need to dip. overheat. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say the, the double dip in the 1980s, the <laughs> second recession wasn't an overheating economy. Oh, you don't think so? I mean, that was when Volcker was on the warpath to get inflation down. That was that, that's the prototypical kind of overheating. Yeah, but was that, was the labor market overheating? Yeah. In the early 1980s? Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, at that point, I mean, um, unemployment, the natural, the kind of the full employment unemployment was a lot higher, so it didn't right, get right. that low. But yeah, I think that was that was clearly an economy that was overheated. Maybe it wasn't overheating, but it was definitely overheated. Keep trying to get inflation down. 
Okay, so but the economy can grow for a long time without right? overheating, right? Look at in Australia or Japan post-war. You can go for decades. So. Well, we never have. With, okay, well, <laughs> ten years is a long time. Yeah, yeah ten years. That's is a long, long time. But that, we didn't know that ten year, the longest expansion in history, I believe, was the one after financial crisis that ended yes. with the pandemic, right? Right. So it would have. Presumably, without the pandemic, could have. But we—that's because that expansion was so slow, so painfully slow, that unemployment didn't come in for a long time. We never really got to full employment. I mean, we were debating at the end maybe we we're at full employment, but we just got to three point five percent unemployment, right? Well, that's because of the catalyst of the recession. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, not, yeah. yeah I agree with you. So, yeah, but that—that that, at the end of the day, that also we were at the end of that lengthy expansion. And I, and I, you know, we were arguing, I, at least I was arguing, you know, the, the expansion was coming closer to, to its end than its, much closer to its end than its beginning, right? Because, mm -hmm. because of, uh, you know, the, the fact that we've gotten very close to full employment. Okay. But Here's does the economy need to overheat is my oh, I see. point, right? Yeah. I, I think, I, but maybe, again, maybe it's not a necessary condition. Right. But it's a feature of most. Of many. Okay. Of I'll, most I'll, recessions. Yeah. I would say. Okay. Here's the third set of reasons for recession. So the first is imbalances. Second is overheating. Third is, and you alluded to this, to this as well, is a shock. Something, yeah. you know, that shock in the sense that uh, hard to predict. You know, you can't predict a pandemic, can't predict the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Right? Correct. Um, in most... It, most other recessions, I think there's some event that is that catalyst that undermines sentiment and com confidence. The sociological reasons for recession, as you called it, Chris, right, it drives people into the bunker. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's right. So supply shock, it could be a natural disaster, pandemic, as you mentioned. So something like that it could be a trade shock, right? Some partner all of a sudden decides they don't want to trade with you anymore um or a policy mistake right that's kind of a shock right you make them like the great depression was in part or at least the you know the kind of thinking is debate about it was mis was an error around trade policy right protectionist mm -hmm. trade policies you know the economy is obviously already struggling but that you know pushed it under right I would also argue that like the, the financial crisis, the Great Recession, and this may be, you know, one, uh, a, pol a policy or maybe the difference between a kind of a typical recession and a really bad one or a depression. Uh, if you go back to the financial crisis, I think I would argue that it went from being what would have been, you know, kind of a tough recession, not maybe worse than typical, but not mm -hmm. catastrophic to something that was catastrophic because of a policy error. And I, I don't, I don't, in the policy error is that the uh, lawmakers at the time, at the Fed, at the Treasury, and the Bush administration, were dealing with financial institutions that were teetering, and they resolved each of those teetering financial institutions differently. They treated the creditors in those institutions differently, the debtors and the equity holders. And, you know, first it was Bear Stearns and then, you know, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and then Lehman Brothers and then, you know, 
there was a million other failures at the time, each treated differently. And as creditors in these institutions realized that there was no cookbook for actually how to resolve these institutions, and they didn't know who was going to suffer and in what order they were going to suffer, the debtors or the, or the equity holders, they bailed. They bailed. And that's when the financial system cratered. So it was a, it was a mistake by policymakers. And again, I don't blame anybody because this was, you know, how can you, how, how, this is crisis mode, right? And you're trying to resolve a problem while you're in the middle of a crisis and very difficult to do, but there was no cookbook for resolving it. That was a policy error that led to the financial crisis, the very severe downturn that we suffered. Yeah, that, that, that brings up the whole question, the, the ongoing debate of what policymakers should do, if anything, during recession. Should we just allow the cycle to heal itself or should we intervene? How much should we intervene? Right? The, that's where the fun comes in, right? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, what about the moral hazard? turning into an Austrian economist on us. No, not at all. I'm just bringing up the, the, mm -hmm. the points of debate, right? I think they're... They're fair points on both sides, right? So, yeah. yeah, I remember during the Great Recession, there was a lot of concern about moral hazard because of the way the Fed was treating you know, each central, each bank. And then AIG, I think that, remember when yeah. the news came out about AIG? Well, that's the other that's, one. Yeah. That's when things really went south. Yeah. But is it the inconsistency of the policy versus... Or maybe they just... Didn't no, the, if they the had chosen not the to bail them out at all, yeah. right? Send a clear signal, you guys are on your own. <laughs> If right. they did that with you know Bear Stearns right away or with Lehman you know uh, Lehman right away, would we have been better does. off than yeah exactly than mixed you know it's a good question you're right <laughs> I, I don't know and of course if you're in that position if you're Secretary Paulson or Chair Fed Chair Ben Bernanke and you're left with that what do I do it's pretty hard to say okay see you later guys <laughs> you know we'll catch you on the other side. That's pretty tough to do. Of course, they then did that with Lehman, and that you know set off a cavalcade of selling. Yeah, okay, so of, let's yeah. bring this back to the current context. So we've identified, broadly speaking, three reasons for recession: one, imbalance; two, overheating; three, shocks. Right? Yeah. So in the current context, it feels like imbalance is not eh, hard to maybe, but not really. Overheating? Would you say? Getting close. Not, you know, hard to argue that, right? Because 3.6% unemployment is not full employment. We've come to that conclusion. Yeah, but I mean, obviously, inflation is high. Yeah. But I would argue the reason for the current recession threat is shocks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? Supply-side shocks. The right. pandemic and the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the higher oil prices. Right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's why I, I, I think we can navigate through without recession. Assuming nothing else goes wrong, though. Well, so yes, yeah. that's our assumption, that's, though. Right. That's our baseline assumption. The baseline assumption is that the pandemic continues to fade, meaning le with new waves, each wave is less disruptive than the previous one, and that the worst of the economic fallout from the Russian invasion is behind us. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you believe that and you just bought into the logic I articulate around the causes of why recession risks are so high, that would argue for, well, we should make our way through. I mean, a prob you know, obviously a lot of risk around that, but we should make our way through. So how do, how do, you, what do, you, how do you respond to that? 
Right. No, I think it's reasonable. I'm just, I think I'm, con- I'm really concerned about oil prices. And okay. So you're on. saying you think oil prices are going higher is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're saying yeah. my underlying assumption around the Russian invasion is, is, is not in your baseline. That is not mm-hmm. your baseline assumption. Nope. Your baseline assumption is what that, what, what happened, what's going to happen here? That oil price. I mean, they're not going to jump. They're still going to steadily increase. Cause I think EU, the European union, Europe's going to put more sanctions on Russia. So if they go f- full oil ban on Russia, then we're going to get another jump in, in oil prices. Okay. That's fair. I mean, re- yeah. reasonable. You just don't buy into the baseline assumption around oil. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. Okay. I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty. Forecasting oil. That, that's is, fine. That's yeah. fine. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm also yeah. more pessimistic about the Fed pulling this off. That the Fed misjudges here. Mm-hmm. Policy error. No, Correct. Form of, back to forms of shock. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just not one catalyst for recessions. There's, it can be multiple catalysts. You can have a supply side shock, a policy error. So, it oh, could be like by a the perfect way, storm. Here's a factoid for you. I think every recession since World War II has been preceded by a spike in oil prices. I'm very confident in that statement. I believe Even you're the right. financial crisis, the yeah, all-time they, they, high they in oil prices eight. was July of, of 2008. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. Every single one. Pandemic? Yeah. Actually, I, I should put that on pandemic. my list of leading indicators. Yeah, okay. Okay, very good. Chris, oh, Chris, how do you respond to the way I articulated things and your view that we are likely going to experience a recession? Yeah, I, I I think we're vulnerable to shock, right? So whether it's an oil shock, I I'm still concerned about a supply shock or supply supply chain shocks, right? Especially with what's going on in China. So I don't think uh, I don't think we're out of the woods uh, by any means, and we're in a position now where uh, even if we have a relatively minor shock, we don't have a whole lot of ammunition to mm-hmm. to fight it, right? So. Whereas if we were in a normal growing economy, you have a little little supply shock. Okay, you can you can brush it off. At this point, it might not be so easy, right? The Fed has got bigger fish to fry uh, when it comes to inflation. So. Okay, so you're you're arguing that the economy's obviously vulnerable. You know, we're dealing with some pretty massive supply side shocks. Yeah, inflation's an issue. Interest rates are now on the rise. So here we are, you know, belly up and flailing. And if anything else comes along, I don't, you don't know exactly what that is, but odds are that something will come along mm-hmm. and push us under the underwater. That's kind of what yeah, you're Yeah, that's what I'm arguing. Okay. Pandemic, all right. Yeah, Cases are back up, right? It's, yeah, interesting. And you're saying the probability of getting some something else hitting us that's of sufficient magnitude to push us under is better than even odds. Yes. Okay. A policy good. error would be at the po- top of my list. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, and I, I think that's fairly likely given the yeah. the task. And financial markets are becoming more vulnerable. So, just look at the rise in interest rates in Europe. You know, if there's no news of another sovereign debt issue, then that's it's game over for Europe. For us, because that will feed back through into U.S. financial market conditions. So it doesn't have to be like something that shocks us. It could be you know, a shock somewhere else that feeds back into our financial markets. Hmm. Okay. I want to, there's a lot to just unpack here, but I want to keep moving forward and talk about the leading indicators of recession. But Mm -hmm. before I go there, I just want to stop, turn it back to you and say, I kind of 
led the, f- the discussion around the frame, frame, framing, right? Here are the causes of recession, broadly imbalances, overheating, and shocks. And I kind of you know push things into those buckets. Are you okay with that? Did I miss uh, another bucket of things that you think are important in terms of a, a causing economic recessions that I missed? That we should include. We don't. I'm, I. I don't. I can't think of it. I'm just asking. Am I missing something? Should we have a bucket for just policy? Because there's fiscal policy as well. I put that into the shock category, but okay, that's fair. You could. You could do that. Chris, yeah, I, I. I think those are are the right um, broad categories of the underlying fundamentals, but I. I would stress the um, sociological or psychological, right? The specific timing. Why we go into recession in this month versus the month before the month after yeah right? that's a psychological that's a sociological phenomenon right so people lose confidence collectively and that uh that tips us over yeah i agree with that i mean i i think um the way i say it a recession is a loss of faith hmm. yeah. faith by consumers that they're going to hold on to their job faith by employers that they're going to have someone that's going to buy what it is that they produce if they if they if we collectively lose our faith and we run for that proverbial bunker, consumers stop spending, businesses stop hiring and start laying off, you get into that self-reinforcing negative cycle. That's a recession. It's a it's ultimately a loss of faith. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And and so conversely, you can have some of these shocks without recession, right? Yeah. Right. If people don't lose faith, we can we can actually work through them without yeah. actually going. And that's what makes the the whole practice of forecasting difficult, right? You have different responses depending on how people are feeling to a large degree. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to the leading indicators of recession. What should people be looking out for to gauge whether we're going to go into a recession or not? Um, so there's there's a lo- long potential list. So uh, Chris, I'll, I'll turn to you first. Uh, <clears throat> what, what is your m- most favorite leading recession indicator? Oh, it's obvious, right? It's everyone's favorite. It's the yield curve. You have to, you have not, to watch not the lines. <laughs> I hate that thing. <laughs> See, I told you. Okay, so let's explain it. So, what what is the yield curve? How do you measure it? Why is it a good leading indicator? What is it saying now? So, it's the difference between long uh, interest rates on long dated uh, treasury securities and short dated treasury securities. Right. Typically, it's upward sloping. Right. Typically, if you're going to loan gov- the government some money uh, for a longer period of time, you're going to demand a higher interest rate. Right. So that's a well-functioning economy. But in a time of stress or concerns about recession, right, that uh, that relationship can invert. Right. I'm willing to lend the money uh, to the government for a longer period of time at a lower rate, um, just to preserve my capital because I'm concerned that we're, the economy is going to go down and other asset classes are going to be impacted. So what I like about the yield curve is that it is a it is an investor-driven, market-driven uh, measure uh, of the implied probability of recession. Right. And what's it saying now? Right now it's... Uh, I don't know what I, I haven't seen uh, recently. It, it's positively sloping. Are you? Are you? And you? I I missed it. Did you say the, what's your measure of the yield curve you like most? Is it the oh, 10, years? ten year versus the two year? Two year. Okay. Yeah. And then why? Why ten versus two? Uh, it, uh, just historically, empirically, it's been a uh, a very prescient predictor of recessions in the past. And the two year is a very good reflection of what investors think the Fed's going to be doing. 
Yeah. Correct. That's right. right. So if they're going to be stepping on the brakes really hard, that pushes up the two-year yield. And a 10-year yield is what investors reflect what investors think is going to happen in the long run. So if they think the Fed's going to be successful in slowing growth, then the 10-year yield is going to be lower. And if you get inversion, two-year above 10-year, historically, that's led to recession. I mean, that's right. Led to implies causality. You're well, not suggesting that. You're saying- It's been correlated with- Correlated <laughs> too. Because investors mm -hmm. are forward-looking and this, the 10 two-year represents their collective wisdom around what's going to happen. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So Ryan, why, that, that seems so compelling to me. Seems so compelling to me. And, and, and theoretically and empirically it's worked. Uh, mm -hmm. Why, why don't you like it? I'm not saying it, historically it's been bad. I'm saying the last two cycles or the last cycle since the great recession, I think the yield curve is misleading because the 10-year treasury yield is no longer a true risk-free rate because the Federal Reserve is, you know, it can control both ends of the yield curve, short-term interest rates through the Fed funds rate and long-term interest rates through quantitative easing or quantitative tightening. So it's just not the same yield curve as it was, you know, pre-financial crisis. Okay. I have two questions for you. <clears throat> One, I thought the Fed was buying securities all along the curve. So they weren't just they buying out at the end. So if there's, you know, they've lowered the rate the term structure of interest rates, mm -hmm. but it seems like it's lowered it across the, the, the yield curve. So therefore it should not be affecting the difference between the 10 year and the two year. So it's not just, so it's a shift. Is it a shift or a pivot? I guess is well, the... it's a shift, shift down. Shift lower. That's what yeah. I thought. Yeah. But... And not, it's not affecting the, the difference not... between the two. Right. The, yeah, but, uh, the, the composition though, I think they were heavier long-term I think they bought more long-term securities than they did short-term. Okay. I'll have to double check. Yeah. Well, here's the other thing. If you buy into that argument and there had been no, it, and, and let's just say you're right that they were buying more on the ten, on the long end than on the short end. Uh, you're, so you're saying that right now the curve looks more flat or inverted, but isn't that counter to what you're, what you're saying? You believe in recession. So you yeah. know, you're saying it's it's not even it, 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 there was not that bias because of the of the uh, Fed's actions on QE, the curve would be even more positively sloped, right? I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's signaling less likelihood of a recession. No, I don't think you need the yield curve to invert to have a recession. Okay, but it, that's never happened, right? Except for the pandemic. There, there's false there's been false signals from the yield curve, particularly the ten two. Not okay. since, uh, not for 50 years, not on a oh, monthly okay. basis. This I know because I, I just, over the weekend, I spent a fair amount of time on this question. Now, on a monthly basis, now, uh, curve and curve convert for, you know, a couple, three days. Yeah. I don't think that's a strong enough signal. And in fact, it did that earlier this, I think in April, it, it did yeah. that early April. And I, don't mean, I don't think that means much, but if it's monthly, I think that that's consistent. You know, investors are saying something consistently. And... Uh, but prior to the pandemic, the 10 two year got very close to inverting on a monthly basis, but never did. But we did experience a recession, right? But that was the pandemic recession, which is inherently unpredictable. So I don't view that as a blemish on the forecast accuracy. But every other recession since World War, excuse me, since in the last 50 years, admittedly, there's not a lot of them, but you know, I think there are six. You know, each one of them we've seen an inversion. Still, I haven't convinced you. No, I haven't convinced me. All right. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. All right. What's your favorite recession indicator, leading indicator? Uh, 
I like lending standards on uh, CNI loans. So, because that's that's an indication that when banks start to tighten the screws on lending, that you know the availability of credit is going to start to slow down. And I think that's you know that feeds that uh, lending standards feeds into our probability recession models. And it does a pretty good job of uh, explaining you know foreshadowing recessions. Does that lead recessions? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, I should yep. take a look. I've never, I've never looked at yeah, that. the senior loan officer survey has the net percent of banks that are tightening on CNI loans, and that that shows a a, a, a significant tightening and underwriting mm-hmm. on commercial industrial loans prior to recessions beginning. Correct. Oh, I didn't know that. And I then you can also look at the weekly uh, H8 data. I believe it's the CNI uh, loans. Yeah, the CNI lending. Yeah, but that you know, interesting thing about that is when you're coming into recession, it surges, right? Yes. It surges because businesses have lines of credit that mm-hmm. they draw down when recessions are hitting because they want the liquidity or are fearful of not having enough liquidity. Right. So you initially see this pop in CNI loans outstanding that ultimately mm-hmm. comes back in. But right. you know, so you're saying that the indicator is a pop in CNI loans outstanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. That doesn't lead, though. I think that kind of lag. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think it's it kind leads, of like but... a contemporaneous or a bit of a lag. I think it's one of those things that it's good to know because you know once that happens, you know for sure you're in recession. And obviously, mm-hmm. you're debating that. Okay, I got mine. You ready? And this goes to Chris. Chris's psych- sociological reasons for recession. Uh, a uh, a more than twenty point decline in the conference board's survey of consumer confidence over a three-month period. So it's not the level of sentiment that matters. And by the way, mm-hmm. the conference board survey, which is more based on labor market conditions, that, that's pretty high. It's higher than its average over history. It's on the, kind of the high side, mm-hmm. but it's, it's down from where it was, but it's on the high side. But anyway, it's about the change in. And when you see these big, consistent move downs in sentiment, consumer confidence is measured with the conference board survey, over a three-month period, that's the loss of faith. That's people running for the bunker and and ending their spending, and that happens two, three, four months before recession. Doesn't give did you a you, long lead, but did you compare conference board to University of Michigan? I did. Yeah, yeah. conference conference board, board does better. better, much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, much better than the, the University of Michigan. And right now, the University of Michigan is is very weak, right? So it's down 40, 40 points from right. its recent peak. Yeah, and we were discussing, and it, and by the way, it's in a three month period, right? Because mm-hmm. it's got to be a sharp, quick decline. Mm-hmm. That's people. That means they're 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 panic mode and they're stopping their spending. Okay, all right, very good. I've speaking got of the, speaking of the conference board. What do you think of the leading economic indicators? Uh, I mean that has a pretty uh, good track record as well, doesn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's tends to turn know. negative. Has it really been helpful in pegging recessions? I I don't think so. Has it? I, I haven't done a deep dive, but yeah, I, it's always been I my. I think I tried it in our probability recession models, but it didn't yeah. add in much. Although having said that, I haven't looked at it recently because I kind of gave mm. up on it as a good. Le- I mean, it's a good le- leading indicator of future growth, but not of recessions, not of turning points in the economy, as I recall. But we should take a look at that because it includes some pretty lagging indicators. I think it includes housing permits and things like that. So, yeah. Mm. Well, of course, the other really good indicator, which is not much of a leading indicator, it's a very good coincident indicator, which is still pretty valuable because you're, you know, when you're in recession, you're still, you're more often still debating it, 
is the change in the unemployment rate. So if the unemployment rate increases by more than four tenths of a percentage point in a three month period, you are already in recession. Mm-hmm. And I think the I think the kind of the chronology is consumers pack it in, you know, two, three, four months before the recession. It takes a few months before uh, uh, businesses say, oh, my gosh, I can't sell. You know, I'm not selling what I thought I was going to sell and pivot from, you know, hiring people to actually laying off people. And once they start laying off, then we're in recession, then we're done. And because that, mm-hmm. that layoffs means higher unemployment. And once unemployment starts to move higher, that's when you get into that kind of self-reinforcing negative cycle because unemployment starts to rise and then consumers say, oh my gosh, right. you know, now I'm losing my job. My wages are getting cut. I, I'm getting no bonus. They pull back further. Businesses see that. They fire more people and you're off, you know, into the abyss and that's a recession. Yeah. Okay. What could be uh, interesting other- in this cycle is that unemployment rate could be rising before the right reason that more people are pulling, being pulled into the labor force. That's a good point. So, but I mean, I th- still think there's that psychological because people you know, are going to watch the news and see the unemployment rate go up and start panicking, but it could be rising for a good reason. Yeah. Right. So it may not be the same, may not be as useful this go around is what you're saying. It still would be useful because I, I still think the average person will panic when they see, you know, the news, CNBC, Bloomberg yeah. talking about higher unemployment rate. You well, guys I mean, did not mention the stock still market. Plentiful, you don't think? Oh, that, sorry, Chris. Go ahead. If jobs are still plentiful, you don't think that that's the stronger factor here? Yeah, unemployment be, rates going yeah. up, but I see. I still see plenty of opportunity. You don't. Mm-hmm. That could be. I mean, we have 11 million open job positions, so yeah. And by the way, that's another reason why I'm more sanguine about making it through without recession. Just feels like. You know, the job market is so rip roaring, so many open, unfilled positions, quit rates are so high. It's going to be pretty hard to kind of have that thing kind of come to a standstill and go in, the, in reverse, it feels like to me. But anyway, uh, you guys didn't mention the stock market. You don't think that's a good leading indicator? Half the time mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Probably better than the yield curve. Yeah. It, that's all the old. Sam Paul Samuelson quip, you know, the mm-hmm. Nobel laureate who said uh, the stock market has predicted nine of the last five recessions. Yep. So it can go, definitely go down, no recession. But although I think every recession has featured a big decline in stock prices, I'm not sure if it's a, much of a lead, but, you know, we've seen big declines in stock prices. Mm-hmm. Okay. What okay. About, on that note, what about uh, credit spreads? Yeah, I was going to ask Ryan, I haven't looked at credit, credit spreads being the difference between rates on corporate bonds and uh, treasury yields, risk-free rate. That spread would reflect the concern investors have over the potential that, that company, those companies are going to default on their debt. So it should be a good indicator. Ryan, is that a, is that a, reasonable, a reasonably good leading indicator or not? It's, it's okay. I mean, I think you have to include all these things together. Uh, you can't just you know, hang your hat on one of them. I mean, I did try using uh, corporate credit spreads in our probability recession model, uh, and the yield curve was more, was, it pains me to say, but the yield curve worked better than uh, corporate bond spreads. Oh, really? In predicting recessions, yep. Say that again? In predicting recessions. No. What, I know, did... I know you're trying to beat me at me. <laughs> Well, uh, the connection's breaking up. Could you... no, yeah, yeah, connection's no. breaking... Oh, Where's the, the storm? storm? The oh, by the way, I'm looking coming. outside and it's like perfect sunshine yeah. out there. I know. Yeah. <laughs> they send the kids home from school. Jeez Louise. Um, 
you know, we never got to the game. Let's do the game real fast right. and then talk about recession probabilities in the current context and then we'll call it a podcast. Uh, I've kind of given you my statistics. I can give you another one. But uh, Ryan, what's your statistic? All right, I got two of them. They're related. All right, so it's minus 3.7% and minus 2.1%. Is that the uh, average decline in GDP and jobs peak to trough in recessions since World God. War II? Uh, no, you, you're good. You got it. It's the average decline peak to trough in GDP in the, uh, for the last five recessions. That's minus 3.7%. But yeah. if you take the pandemic out, the average declines 2.1%. Okay, but you got to be impressed with- I'm really impressed. Yep. Laser-like response. Yeah. All right. Very yeah, good. That was impressive. And I bet you if you go look at the decline in jobs- oh. Yeah, it's probably right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, just say it. Just say it. Mm -hmm. All right. And you probably picked five recessions because you didn't have enough time to do all, all of them back to work. And I didn't have time to do all of them. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> uh, very good. Uh, that's very rough. So you're saying the peak average typical peak to trough decline in the past five recessions in GDP is 3.7%, including the pandemic. And the Great Recession, yes. In the Great Recession. So if you take out the pandemic, it's 2.1%. Oh, because yeah. then the pandemic was down like 10. 10. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 10 on the nose. It's massive. And uh, I think the Great Recession was four peak to trial. It was. Right? It mm -hmm. was. Yeah. Okay. All right. Very good. Chris, what's your statistic? I can give you a fun one or a uh, uh, mind-blowing one. Let's do, let's do both. Fun okay. one first. The fun one. How many recessions, how many global recessions oh. has uh, Ryan experienced in his lifetime? Oh, <laughs> I love this. Oh, this is a good one. Yeah, so Ryan is about eighteen. Yeah. No. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan, you like must be forty. Are you forty years old? I'm yeah, 40, 42. 42. So I was born at nineteen eighty. And you look like you're thirty-two, by the way. Oh, I appreciate 42. it. Forty-two. You could say yeah, for sure. So forty-two would put us back to what nineteen eighty, right? Nineteen eighty. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the U.S. has experienced uh. I think we've experienced five recessions since then, something like that. And you're saying global, global. global. Is, it, nah, is this uh, every country on the planet, developed, undeveloped? Global recession, right? So IMF goes through and says, oh, oh, Bank, oh, right? oh not say, how many, uh, I, oh, you see what I was doing? I was going to tell you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, okay. So how uh, many- in How many times has the, glo the oh, world economy gone into recession? Three? I'd say five times. Five times? No. That's actually how many times, well, I don't know. That's how many times the U.S. has gone in. Three? I, I, think, I think that's how many times you've experienced a uh, yeah. global recession in your lifetime. <laughs> well, no, 1980, 1982, 1990, 2001, 2000. Well, 1980, yeah. global recession. Right? Yeah, global. That wasn't global. 1980 was not a global recession? No, glo no. 80, you want that? There was four. 82, oh. 91. 2009, 2020. Well, hold it. Didn't I say five? Yeah, you're off. Yeah, yeah oh, you're I'm off. off by, <laughs> I'm off by, oh gosh. Precision How many mark. are there? Precision. Okay, all right, okay. Oh, you, and I, you know, I'm- You, ex oh, you and I experienced 75 too. That's true. Did, is there, was there a global recession in 82? Yes. Okay, they're, they're, they're the US, that was really one recession. <laughs> it wasn't two, the US did two. The rest of the world said, no, we're not following your lead. We're going to call this one. All right. You're going to have to go back to the committee. I'm just saying. 
make right. a file an appeal. <laughs> okay. All right. We've had a long conversation here. I, and, you know, I, I should have had you us articulate what we think the probabilities of recession were before we even had the conversation. But uh, we uh, run a survey off of Twitter and at Mark Zandy, by the way. What's yours, Ryan? At real time underscore econ. Yeah, there you go. Uh, off Twitter and LinkedIn. And uh, I think we've got, I'm looking right now, we had 155 responses. And uh, the question was, uh, who do you think is closer, Mark, Ryan, uh, or Chris, to the probability of recession between now and the end of 2023, let's say 18 months from now, so over the next 18 months? I said 40% probability. Mm -hmm. Chris said... Um, 55. 55, yeah. And Ryan, you said 75. Correct. Okay, so the survey responses are Mark me 45 percent of folks buy into what i'm saying you know it's a 40 percent probability of recession through the end of 2023 38 percent buy into ryan's dark pessimism 75 percent probability through the end of 2023 and 17 percent buy into chris's down the middle of the road so it's a very it's a it's kind of a barbell distribution mm -hmm. you know either you're really pessimistic or you're reasonably sanguine uh, you're not in the middle you're not in the middle uh it's interesting Okay, let's end it this way. I'm at 40% probability before we had this conversation. Chris, you were at 55. Ryan, you were at 75. What is your probability of recession now after this conversation? Go ahead, Ryan? Chris. No, Chris goes first. Because he's going to go to right he's in the middle. I'm I just, haven't changed. Maybe I've uh, bumped it up, actually. A little oh. closer, closer to 60. Really? Ooh. Coming yeah. to the dark side. Uh. That's still... Pretty gods. <laughs> but that's not enough to change the baseline forecast. That's correct. <laughs> oh, that's so smart. Mm. For, for folks listening, we have this rule that if you want to make a big change in the forecast or underlying assumptions, you have to be very confident, meaning subjectively, uh, there has to be a two-thirds probability that that's going to happen before you make the change. And you're not quite there yet. But you're getting close. You're getting yep. close. Okay, Ryan, you're at 75 you're, you're, he's stubborn, Chris. He's not going to change. No, I'm, I was going to bump it down to this. Oh, uh, probably six, 65 now. Oh, really? Oh, you're, oh, you're, that's you're, a big you're oh that is huge. Me. That's a, big that's a huge. Okay. So why do you, what changed your mind? Going back to like the imbalances and everything. Yeah. And, you know, I think the economy can with him, it's gotta be a pretty big shock. I think. Yeah. Which I'm not right. confident the Fed's going to do it, pull it off, but we'll see. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm still at 40, but I'll have to tell you, I sat down this weekend and wrote a piece and, you know, it's up on EV on uh, recession indicators and, you know, really kind of went through things. I actually felt better after doing that about the economy's prospects. So I'm not going to, I still think it's, you know, uncomfortably high at 40, but I, you know, I'd say the risks to that are to, to a lower probability. How I many cherry better. sodas did you drink? When you're uh, writing that piece, well, again, you know, uh, no alcohol. You know, okay, just checking. No alcohol, no alcohol. Uh, anyway, okay, that was a great conversation. I know so much more we could have talked about uh, policy and monetary and fiscal policy, and um, you know, uh, severity of recessions. But maybe we'll come back to that at a future podcast. But 
I think we should call this one a, a podcast. What do you guys think? Anything else you want to mm-hmm. say or cover at this point? Wait, Chris, you what with... was your mind-blowing number? Oh, he didn't tell us his mind-blowing oh, you want the mind-blowing number. numbers very yeah. quickly. Um, here's the question to you. What fraction of the time was the U.S. economy in recession from 1857 to 1900? Oh, my. Uh, wait a second. Time. Wait a second. This is You can see I'm looking out here, so I'm not looking at anything. The typical recession on average was 17 months. The average length of the business cycle was about 60 months. So what is 17 divided by 60? That's the number. Is that right? No. What? <laughs> Hold on, wait. 1857 to 1900. So just Oh, now. 1900. Yeah, I, yeah. I was thinking, well, oh, I let, said 1854 to 20. Let me give you some context. Since okay, no, it's okay. I, oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, okay. 40% yeah. of the time we were in recession, before 1900, and since World War II, it's down to 15%. Oh, so close. 50%. 50, from, I was 50 in that before 1900? 1857 oh. to 1900, yeah. and okay. then 14% from yeah. Yeah, 1955. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. this is, you know, you got to, people listening to this now understand why I'm chief economist. <laughs> right? That's pretty impressive. What about since 2000? Since 2000? Yeah. How long oh, have we what been? Time we, uh, uh, I could probably do that. I, I mean, I can actually calculate that. So in 2000, uh, that recession was probably, I don't know, maybe no more than nine months. The 2008, that was, that was 18 months. Uh, the pandemic was two months. Mm-hmm. So 2, 11, 18, 29, I'd say kind of 29 months out of 100 and, 100 and oh. so it's three decades, 2000, 2010, no, 2000, I mean, it to be uh, 22 years, 240, 10% of the time. Oh, 11. Very good. Very there you wow. go. See how I did that? <laughs> All right. Baby. <laughs> oh, yeah. So fun to be an economist. I, you know, I don't understand mm-hmm. these jokes. Accountants, economists, weathermen, <laughs> economists. I love my job. We you guys tell. love your job? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Unbelievable. Yeah. What a job. All right. Okay, we're gonna call this a podcast because I think we have another one after this. <laughs> <laughs> so we should go. I'm gonna get more cherry drink and we'll reconvene. All righty, All right. guys. Take Thank care. you. Thanks. Take care.